You're listening to the King's Place podcast. Presenting music, comedy, spoken word, poetry, and art from around the world. kingsplace.co.uk Hello and welcome to the King's Place podcast, a monthly podcast full of all the latest news, information and exclusive interviews highlighting some of the upcoming events at the venue. On this edition, amongst other things, we investigate more about the new series of jazz and folk nights that are happening at King's Place. So each Saturday night, you can come to an evening of jazz in a series called The Bass, and we'll speak to trumpeter Abraham Wilson, who has a night of music inspired by the film Mo Better Blues by Spike Lee to talk all about. Also, folk legend Peggy Seeger joins us on the phone, and we talk all about her life in music to celebrate her appearance at our Friday Night Folk Union concert series. But first, on the 23rd of October, composer and artist Mikhail Karikis brings the debut London performance of Zenon, an exploded opera, to King's Cross. We caught up with Mikhail for a coffee and croissant at King's Place to learn more about his coal mining soundscapes and how to write love songs for broken machines. Where did the idea come from for an exploded opera? For the event we're doing on the 23rd of October, which is uh, called Zenon, an exploded opera, I was intrigued by um, some statements I read by other composers. One of them is uh, Boulez, who uh, is a 20th century kind of avant-garde composer. He said that opera is so over and it's such a desperate genre that the only solution to it is to blow up all opera houses. I thought it was a brilliant idea, but if you're angry with something, you might as well deal with that rather than with the building that houses it. So the idea is that I'm creating a, a new piece of work which has everything, all the elements that an opera has. So it has costume, it has a lot of visuals, it has acting, music, instrumentalists, all of that but they don't necessarily happen at the same time. You know, they're all kind of exploded and suspended. Um, yeah, with a project like this, how, how, how long does it take to develop, from the idea to, to appearing on the stage? It has taken over a year to develop, and all the di- I tested all the different parts separately first. So King's Place will premiere the first time that all the different parts come together. So, for example, part of the opera is a video that I created with an ex-coal miners choir. So these people are in the, most of them are in the 70s or 80s. And that particular collaboration in which I, I asked them to recall the sounds they heard when they worked in the pits and sing them back. You know, sounds of explosion, underground explosions and shovels and grinding the coal. You know, I asked them to recall those sounds and then I, then I created a piece and I filmed them singing all those sounds on top of a di- disused mine. So just that has taken a year to make. And at the same time, there are a lot of other uh, elements. Also, another important aspect of the process of making it has been that of collaboration. You know, I've been working with fantastic performers One of the things that I dislike is telling people what to do. So I think I would be the worst director. But what we did instead, because, you know, for me to overcome that, I booked for three days in the middle of nowhere in Kent, I booked a farm and I invited all the musicians, all the performers to come along. And I gave them a series of questions. In a way, it was, uh, these were the seeds 
you know, how to make this. Before the opera, the day before, you also have got another performance that you're involved in. Can you, can you tell me a little more about that? I think that's actually going to be a treat for people because it kind of explores an interest that I've had for a long time, that of a kind of con contrast or contradiction, that of machines and um, kind of cool, logical thinking and that of emotion in its extreme, and that is love. So the, the title of the event is Love Songs for Broken Machines. And so it's this kind of frustration. I'm, I'm trying to get my mobile to work and it doesn't work. But it's this kind of strange love affair we have with machines. But what we get back from them is this kind of a very cool response. So it's an ensemble of a lot of different artists. So Juice, who are a contemporary voice trio, three brilliant women, they're going to premiere for the first time in England 10 new songs by well-known composers, you know, Gavin Bryars, kind of more popular composers like Mikachu, who are a kind of electropunk group, artists like Elaine, so a, a lot of different composers. So these are songs that no one has heard in, in England before. And these will be juxtaposed with videos from uh, Flat E, from Aura Sass, which feature machines, or shall I say musical automata, in, in different kind of states of assembly or disassembly. Then there are, there's a composer called Claudia Molitor, contemporary composer, and a performer, Sarah Nichols, who has an instrument that she calls the Beast, which is a deconstructed piano that looks like a loom or a weaving machine. And I think it's worth coming to the concert only to see that. There's also Leon Michener, who has developed a very interesting way of creating animations as he plays the piano, so he controls video images with the keys of the of, of a grand piano, and he creates a film starting from the film score. So first comes the film score, and he does it live, and at the same time there's a film that he creates. Yeah, people are going to be really excited by all of this. I am. Okay, my last question. We've obviously heard a lot of what's going on. There's a lot of amazing ideas and, and research. But I think at the end of the day, from what from what I understand, it's it's all about the experience. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. Ideally, even if someone knows nothing about the project, you know, when they come into the auditorium, they'll get an experience which will leave them stunned to an extent. But also, actually, there, there are some surprises in the second half because I'm going to present new totally new compositions that no one has ever heard of before and there are last night I presented to the rest of the team some of the the, the song that we're going to close the concert with and uh, if people don't feel positive and overwhelmed with emotion after that I don't know what to say <laughs> it'll be very difficult to move them you know <laughs> Thank you.
Xenon and Exploded Opera is performed on Saturday the 23rd of October and Love Songs for Broken Machines, also put together by McCall, is on Friday the 22nd of October. Full details of these concerts can be found on our website kingsplace.co.uk. Stepping back in time to slightly earlier in October, on the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment and London Symphonietta join forces from Thursday the 14th to Saturday the 16th of October for the mini festival called Remix. And what is remix? Well, remixing, reinventing and recycling are not recent phenomena. Why start afresh when you can borrow, steal and improve? So by taking these ideas as a starting point, the London Symphonietta and the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment join forces to present a three-day festival containing some of the finest musical remixes from Baroque to 2010. Composer Richard Corston has been commissioned to remix the music of Pergolesi by the London Sinfonietta. We asked him what it was like to reuse or rework other composers' material. Very exciting and very very often what you end up with is more than some of its parts. It, it becomes something different which is neither the one thing nor the other. Personally there are two rules of thumb. One is that you should acknowledge where you got it from and that if you're going to use someone else's work it should be something quite resilient or acknowledged. So, for example, Pergolesi has been here for a long time, it's going to be around for a good long while. If it was a completely unknown composer from that time, I think you'd have to really be a bit more careful and say absolutely where it came from, etc, etc. And if it's an unknown piece from our own time, then you really have to kind of acknowledge it and, if necessary, pay. What would you hope the the audience kind of experience from this? Are you, are you trying to highlight the beauty of the original music, but bring it more up to date with the to more modern audience's ears? I think there's something about the way I've set the piece or set the piece up that perhaps the original Perglazi will be will sound like something that's very very precious and distant that we just make out through the, the the mist it's it's almost as if there's this thick haze this kind of mist or gauze that's between us and the pergolese and sometimes in the theater if you have a there's a, a cloth in front of the stage and the light can shine through it it can be opaque or you can see through it and and sometimes in my piece this kind of haze becomes a bit more transparent and we become aware of this very beautiful thing that's behind it this is the king's place podcast from the idea of classical remix to the world of jazz and an early film by Spike Lee. Trumpeter Abraham Wilson joins us on one of those comfy sofas by the box office to tell us about what makes his concert in the Saturday Night Bass series very special. Before he tells us more about the concert, let's learn more about the trumpeter. So where did music begin for you? I mean, music began for me at nine years old when my parents brought home a trumpet. Actually, when she told me I was going to play trumpet, I didn't really want to play. I argued with her. I told her I was a drummer, born to be a drummer. And uh, we argued about that for a couple of weeks till she brought the instrument home and I saw how shiny it was. And she actually showed me how to play my first G on the instrument, how to actually produce a sound on the instrument my mom did. And uh, from that point on, I was just, I, I loved playing the, playing the instrument. I loved listening to music, emulating what I heard on, on the radio. I mean, back then I wasn't playing jazz, I was just playing what I loved, you know. I hadn't been introduced to jazz until um, about 14 years old at the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. Uh, it's a school where I went to Marsalis, attended Bradford, Harry Connick Jr., Terrence Blanchard, Ellis Marsalis taught there, some really notable uh, musicians. And that's where I got my love and was introduced to jazz music.
And I presume you've been through a few trumpets since then? Yeah, I have. The first trumpet, I blew it, blew it apart. <laughs> it's in like several pieces all over New Orleans now. <laughs> uh, this trumpet I have now is one that I got. My, my dad bought this trumpet for me in 98. Uh, uh, I was playing with Ruth Brown at the time. I broke that, that horn in with Ruth Brown. She's an R&B singer who passed away a few years ago. Very uh, renowned historian as well. She taught me a lot about you know, being on the road and all the musicians, Duke Ellington, Count Basie, Ella Fitzgerald, Billy Holiday. She knew all these people personally. music always going to be your career or was there a certain point when you knew that it, that it could be? I don't know, music was not going to be my career. As a youngster, I wanted to do lots of different things. At one point I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to be a lawyer, I was thinking about going into engineering, <laughs> I was thinking about being an, a, a pilot, lots of different things. It wasn't until I was 14 and, and enrolled into the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts that I really started honing in on, on practice and I, mean, I was playing music all the time, but really serious practice, diligent practice, like six, seven hours a day. By the time I got, I finished high school, I auditioned for college and I received a full scholarship to, to study music. And that's when I realized, okay, I'm definitely going to go into music. Um, okay, so moving on to this specific concert, I was just going to ask you, this is based around the, the film uh, Mo Better Blues. Do you have distinct memories of seeing the film for the first time and the, and the impact it had on you? Yeah, the, the movie came out 20 years ago this year. And so this is kind of like the anniversary of the, of the movie. I was about to, well, okay, I'll, I'll go date myself if, I, if I'm not careful, huh? <laughs> what was I doing? Well, I won't say exactly what I was doing, but I'll say that um, I was playing trumpet at the time. And uh, my friends around me, they, they kind of saw that it's about this trumpet player, basically. His name is Bleak, movie by Spike Lee. And Bleak is a person who dedicates his life to, towards studying and performing music, performing jazz music and it's the center of his life. I thought it was very entertaining as a youngster, and a lot of my friends kind of related the, the character Bleak to me because I played trumpet and because I, I was dedicating a lot of time. And so, yeah, I remember seeing that movie and, and enjoying it and, and thinking, oh, I want to be like Bleak. I want to dress like this. I want to, it was, you know, it was Hollywood, man. It was exciting to see jazz music in that, in that light because this movie was the first time, other than seeing Winter Marsalis perform, it was the first time that I, I, would, I saw and other people saw jazz music real jazz music because there's a difference <laughs> in the limelight on holly on a hollywood screen you know in people's homes you know at the theater in the cinema on hbo and 20 years on what, what do you think the film has to offer now you know i think it's it's a it's a it has a lot of historic value the the music that those musicians terrence blanchard was was the composer for the movie graf marcellus performed on on the record as well and just to hear these guys compose to perform it's they actually, they, they've blossomed as composers and performers since that time. Also, if, to, to watch Denzel Washington, and, you know, because I'm into acting, you know, and to watch him act in the, in the way he deals with the screen and deals with his co-actors and Wesley Snipes as well. It's, just, it's very interesting to watch how they work and how they've developed as well. Um, also, Spike Lee. Spike Lee's a, a great filmmaker, and I think he wanted, to, wanted musicians to be heard. People like Terrence Blanchard, people like Brad from Marsalis, and you know that young lion scene because it was very vibrant at the time. Lots of older musicians and younger musicians coming on at the time. And his father was a musician as well, Bill Lee. So it's important to you know it was important for him to kind of get that across. His father um, arranged some of the music um, and composed some of the music in that movie, and they had been working together 
um, on other films as well. So it's, it's a great testament to, to his filmmaking and the jazz tradition. So when people come to see you in this in this concert, what what are your plans? Are you you going to talk generally about the film and play play certain parts? What what are you planning to do? Well, we're going to play we're going to play compositions that were played on that film, and I'm, I've rearranged them for a quintet. Quintet includes uh, Peter Edwards on piano, uh, Binker Golding on tennis saxophone, Moses Boyd on the drums, and Yuri Galkin on the upright bass. And uh, it's great music. It's great music. So I'm basically going to play various characters from that film, as well as, as perform the music. So it's going to be definitely a, a show, a spectacle, in a good way. Brilliant. And lastly, um, is jazz still cool? Jazz has always been cool. What kind of questions are you asking me, man? <laughs> man, we love jazz. We went out when the mobos wouldn't put jazz on. We went out and, and had a big block party about jazz music. <laughs> It's the coolest thing out there. <laughs>
Yes, I did. That's why I've come back, because I love the country. And how has your songwriting changed over, over the years and your career? Uh, the songwriting, I think, has become more diverse. I am 75 now. I was 24 when I came. And for the first maybe three or four years, I don't think I wrote very many songs. When we put on the show called The Festival of Fools, which we did with the critics group, it was a, a theater documentary that we did every year, I began to write more songs. In the 70s and 80s, I wrote a reasonable number, and some of them were uh, almost classical in their feeling. They were recitatives, almost things uh, that were half speaking, half... They were, they were just outside of the folk disciplines. I'm a trained musician. I learned piano from the time I was six, and my mother taught me theory. And I, when I went to college, I studied harmony, and I'm very comfortable on the piano. So I began making up songs that were, that were outside of the folk idiom. And I still do. I still do that. But I also write songs that do sound a little bit like folk songs. And where do you find that inspirations for songs come from? It can come like a surprise, or it can or it can work like hell on it, so that every preposition, every turn of rhyme or alliteration is worked on. Sometimes they come really easily, and sometimes they're hell. Uh, there's no rule. No, and I don't write tune or words first. But I've got lots of ideas for songs. I've got more ideas for songs than you would believe. I have a whole file of them. I think that I've become more of an entertainer than I used to be. I do a, a bit more different things. I read out clippings from the newspaper. I sometimes play a snatch of classical music. I sometimes tell a story. It depends on the feeling of the audience. It kind of you pick things out of a hat. Sometimes you just you're singing one song and you're in the middle of it. You think, oh, I think I'll sing so and so next, and you finish and you go right into it. You hadn't planned it. But you just do it. The first time ever I saw your face, I thought the sun rose in your heart. You've been listening to the King's Place podcast. Please visit our website, kingsplace.co.uk, for more information about any of the events you've heard about and to book tickets. Tickets for all events are available from as little as £9.50 online. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the King's Place podcast. Presenting music, comedy, spoken word, poetry and art from around the world. King's Place dot co dot uk